gospel at the end of chapter 6 as we work our way through the Sermon on the Mount. We are in that passage that many of us look to for guidance and are troubled by for our inability to obey. Let me read it for us, Matthew six twenty-five through 34. These are the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, I ask that as we receive your word, that we would at the same time receive Christ himself. That when we hear you, our ears would be ears that hear with faith. That we would hear as those who have much to gain from you and not as those who feel condemned for our inability to measure up to this Because God, we all know, we all know that that we become anxious. So let us hear from you your word of encouragement this morning. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated, church. Well, for the last couple of weeks, Jesus has been challenging us, hasn't he? He's been challenging us to, to reassess what it is that we treasure. What do we live for? He's thus far given us three reasons to seek heavenly treasures rather than earthly treasures. The first is that that earthly treasures are temporal. We saw that on Easter morning when we worshiped together. Our earthly treasures fall apart. They, They corrode. They corrupt. They get taken away. They don't last. The second thing that he showed us was that earthly treasures corrupt or taint how we view everything else 
In other words, what God has given us to enjoy, and the things of earth He has given us to enjoy, what He's given us to enjoy loses its true beauty and meaning when it's viewed through anything else other than the gospel of Christ. And last week, Jesus showed us that money, probably one of the, the most treasured of earthly treasures, this money has this particular danger to it in that it so easily masters us, doesn't it? With money comes self-sufficiency. And with self-sufficiency comes a lesser dependence on God. Money is alluring to us in that it gives us this, this false sense of security and Jesus says if money becomes our treasure we'll become mastered by it and if we're mastered by money if we're serving money we cannot and will not at the same time serve God just just can't happen one thing I love about Jesus' approach is he's been correcting us encouraging us and pointing us to himself is he doesn't just speak to our emotions, does he? He doesn't just give us arbitrary commands, do this, don't do that. Have you noticed how he's been addressing our minds? He's challenging us to think. These aren't empty commands that he's giving us. They're logical, reasonable exhortations that challenge how we think about life. He's saying, think about your life. And so we think, and we realize, Jesus, you're right. Over and over again, he's he's challenging us. And this week is is no different. His his argument this week begins like this. It's rooted in what he's been teaching us the last few weeks. If you're treasuring, here's, here's his argument. If you're treasuring earthly things, your heart will be set on those things. Right? Where your treasure is, there your heart is. That means you'll cherish those things. They'll become your life's ambition It will be what your mind's eye is always set on. And when it looks like those things could be threatened, your heart, your soul will immediately go into action and protect those treasures from that threat, whatever it is. You'll become anxious today as a way of defending future threats against those treasures. We see this connection between earthly treasure and anxiety if we look at verse 24 from last week. I want you to look there with me. So here we are at the end of last week's lesson from Christ. And he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. That's, that's how Jesus concludes his argument about treasures. And then immediately... Immediately following that statement, look at what he says in verse 25. Therefore, you see it? Therefore, you see it? That that links verse 25 to the previous section. These are not independent lessons. They're linked intimately. Therefore, or because of all that I've just told you, about treasures on earth and treasures in heaven, because of what I've told you about money and the things that money can buy, because of verses 19 through 24, I tell you, 
Therefore, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. You see his logic? He's drawing a super tight connection between treasuring earthly things and being anxious about those things. When you become, when you become mastered by something, especially the pursuit of wealth, you will become anxious about it. You will, not might. You will become anxious about it. Anxiety is the whip that old man money uses to enslave us, to keep us focused on him. The, the, the contrast that Jesus offers is in service to God instead of money, instead of the pursuit of wealth. And, and in service to God, there's this simple, peaceful life. His burden is light, right? Once you begin to invest in earthly treasures by, by giving your life to Christ, you are you're released from being anxious about worldly things. It's, it's a release. You don't have to be anxious anymore. You don't serve those things anymore. And, and in, in that context, Jesus gives us this command in verse 25. So don't be anxious. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And then he'll repeat that command again in verse 31. Do not be anxious. And then again in verse 34. Do not be anxious. Three times he tells us, do not be anxious. So what I want to do this morning is just examine his argument. And just ask, okay, why not? I want to give us the opportunity to hear Jesus for what he's actually saying here. For, for those of you who, who struggle with anxiety, and I mean are crippled by anxiety, maybe this is a passage you have, have read before, maybe you read it all the time, maybe you've got it memorized, the whole thing. And over again, and over and over, and over, you read it, and you strive, and you strive, white-knuckled, trying not to be anxious, being anxious about being anxious. And in the end, you always give up and just say, I can't do it. I can't not be anxious. This is just who I am. I want to encourage you this morning with something from John Newton. You know John Newton, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace for us? He says this. He says, when we read texts like this, don't read it as law the way that an attorney might read it. Right? So, so how does an attorney read law? They want to get the sense for it. What does this mean? Instead, Newton says, read it as an heir would read it. An heir reading a will. Right? So, so a will is legally binding, right? And an attorney is going to read a will in a particular way. But they're going to read it differently than a person who has much to gain from that will aren't they? So, so when, when we read this, don't read it as cold law. Read this as an heir who has just been given a will that shows within it promises that are for you. All right? Read it to see what Jesus has given us this morning. Read it as a command that he's given because he loves you. And notice that the command when you read it that way, it doesn't stand all by itself. 
It is not just do not be anxious three times and that's it. A lot of times because of our pride, we, we can't see past those parts where we're failing. So, so here's, we're just going to release that. Just, just go ahead and recognize you are failing. All right, just recognize it. Get over it. You're failing. And you need Jesus. And this is what he wants to show you. And in that, there will be a freedom to grasp a hold of what he has for you. So what you're going to see attached to each instance of these commands are three unshakable truths. Let these three truths be the root that your obedience comes out of. All right, the first is this. As children of the Father, our life is more than food and our body is more than clothing. If you're, if you're taking notes, just right there, your life is more. Your life is more. The second reason we shouldn't live in anxiety, or that we don't have to live in anxiety, rather, is that as children of the Father, our anxiety is fruitless. It's just, it doesn't work. It's futile. Anxiety is futile. You can write that one down. The third reason we don't have to be anxious anymore is because as children of the Father, our Father provides for us. He takes care of us. So your life is more, anxiety is futile, and our Father provides. Three very simple truths that we need to hear every single day, don't we? And because of these three truths, Jesus can then tell us what life in his kingdom is like. Instead of being anxious about earthly things, we are freed to seek first the kingdom of God and trust that all these things will be added to us. In other words, live as a child of the Father in the kingdom of the Father and just know that he will provide. So let's take the rest of our time and just listen to our Savior's sound logic and know his love for us. Can we do that? Let's work our way through here. Let's look at verses 25 and 26 first. If you're new with us, we just go straight through Scripture. So every week, verse by verse by verse, working our way through God's Word. So we're beginning now in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Remember, your life is more. That's what we're looking for. So you see it there. Your life is more. And then look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in their barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then again, are you not of more value than they? Your life is more. Jesus is saying, listen, you're worth more than you think. You are of more value than you can comprehend. You are of far more value than the birds and your father provides for the birds don't you think he's going to take care of you the key phrase here where our value comes from is this word your father your heavenly father don't miss that it's there in verse 26 Jesus says to look at the birds they're not anxious about where their next meal is coming from because your father our father feeds them He's our Father. That's not just a generic, the Father, but your Father. 
It's possessive, isn't it? He is your father. You belong to him, and he belongs to you. You are more than a bird to him. You are his child. Since we might have forgotten and often forget how important this identity is, it's it's worth reminding you, if you have been adopted as sons and daughters of the Father through Jesus Christ, that's the only way this happens, then do you know what's true? It means that you have died to yourself and been raised to new life in Jesus Christ. And then, like Jesus, you're a child of the Father. That's how our childhood takes place. That's how our adoption takes place. It's through Christ. Our union with Christ. We are not and cannot be children of the Father without Jesus Christ. But in Christ, you are his child. And if you're a child of the Father, you are more valuable than birds. My kids know, I hope they know, that they are more important to me than the hummingbirds and the orioles that we feed. You guys know that? Okay. They know that they're more important to me than our garden that we take care of, more valuable to me than our chickens or our sheep or our goat, definitely more valuable than the gophers. You guys know that? Okay. Church, my kids even know that they are more valuable to me, more important to me than you are. No offense. I love you. I love you a lot. But you're not my kids. They are. And so they are of more value to me than you are. We, as as children of a father who is infinitely, upon infinitely, a better dad than me, we are to know that we're more important to him than the birds are. As I was writing this, I was in my office in the back we have a little outbuilding the back of our property kind of in a kind of garden area there's a fig tree and a pomegranate tree and there's a flag pole that the kids have made a pirate flag that flies from the flagpole but as I was writing there's two lesser goldfinches climbing on the little string picking out little bits of cotton to, to make nests with and I'm thinking well that's appropriate isn't it? the father is providing for these They're even called lesser goldfinches. I should remember, they're lesser than me. He provides for me. We are of more value to our Father than even these cute little yellow birds. And in Luke's account of this, so this is Matthew's account of Jesus' telling here. In Luke's account, he's more specific about the types of birds that Jesus is talking about. Luke is a little more precise sometimes than Matthew. In Luke 12, 24, he says, Consider the ravens, not just the wild birds, because then we can think of these cute little birds, but ravens. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? So it's the same principle, but think ravens, all right? Ravens are unclean birds, according to Old Testament law. But we don't need Leviticus to tell us that ravens are unclean birds, do we? Ravens and crows are disgusting. They, they eat bloated, dead, stray cats that have been hit by cars. They, they eat dead rats and skunks. They're scavengers. They steal other birds' eggs. 
All spring long, if you've been looking at the sky around you, and I hope you do this occasionally, all spring long, the little songbirds, like the little lesser goldfinches and the sparrows and the mockingbirds, what are they doing? They're dive-bombing ravens and crows because the crows are trying to, to, to take their eggs. These are nasty, dirty, unclean birds. The, these winged thieves who in a, in a group call a, a murder... They, they will take the fruit off of your trees, won't they? They will take your veggies from your garden. They will take your trash out of the trash can and throw it on the, trash, on the ground all around. And yet, and yet even these undiscriminating, roadkill-eating birds, Jesus says, are taken care of by the Father. He provides for all of the world's nasty little critters. From maggots to mosquitoes to crows. And here we are, his children. And we're concerned he's going to forget about us. You see that? It's kind of a reduced to the absurd, isn't it? You know what Jesus is doing for us? We're his children. From before the foundation of the world, he set his sights on us. Before he spoke creation into existence, the eternal father planned to send us his eternal son. To rescue us from sin. As children of the Father, our life is worth more than food and clothing. Jesus didn't just come and feed the 5,000 and then walk away and leave. He gave us more than bread and fish. He gave us his life so that we could live. Our life is more than food. Our life is more than clothing. Our life has been ransomed by Jesus Christ. Our life is worth the life of the only Son of God. Amen? Amen. Will not the God who gave us His Son to save us also care for us in ways far greater than He cares for the birds? He will. So do not be anxious. The second argument that Jesus makes is that as children of the Father, our anxiety is powerless. It's stupid. When we, come, when we take the time to think about it, it just doesn't do any good. There's so many problems. Look what he says in verse 27. He says, And which of you, by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life. Some of your translations may say a, uh, a cubit to his height. The idea is, either way, you're solving nothing. Think about the last thing you were worried about. Just, let's just do a thought experiment here. Think about the last thing that, that kept you up at night. Most of us do not have to think back very far. For me, it's Monday night, so just a few nights ago. What good did being up at 2 a.m. Monday night running through the same worry over and over again, running through that same scenario over and over, what good did that do? Did that solve the problem that I was thinking about? It didn't solve any problems. Did your worrying solve any of your problems? This is what Jesus is trying to turn our attention to. It doesn't. In fact, if you're like me, when you got up the next morning, you were sleepier. And because you were sleepier, you were grumpier, and you probably hurt people. And because you were sleepy, your metabolism was off and you didn't eat healthy. 
And because you didn't get enough sleep, your mind wasn't sharp enough to work during the day. Maybe you, you weren't as, as uh, hard at work as you normally are. And so when you were working in your grogginess, you made mental mistakes. And then because of those mistakes, you have more to be anxious about. Right? Do you see the, the cycle? Anxiety just begets more anxiety, doesn't it? And on top of all that, our anxiety doesn't even add a minute to our lifespan. Not a moment, not an hour. In fact, we probably took more than a few minutes off. As children of the Father, as children of the Father, we're powerless to accomplish the things that we foolishly think that worrying can accomplish. What's really happening is we are making ourselves out to be God over a situation or some circumstance that we have no control over. That's what anxiety is doing, whether we can see it or not. It's what it is. By by our own imagination, by our own thoughts, by our own words, we're trying to exact control over something that's outside of our control, something that is God's. See, God can speak the future into existence. He can think, and something happens. We don't have that power. When we try to think something into existence or speak something into existence, in other words, when we try to be God over a situation, we end up with this scenario. Tightness of chest, an increased heart rate, sleepless nights, a bad attitude, less joy in life, a troubled marriage, food doesn't taste as good. And to top it all off, We're far less confident in our Savior. And we have solved nothing. Have we? We, friends, we are of infinite value to God. We are His children. But we don't have His power over future circumstances. Only He does. So Jesus wants us to see we can trust Him. We read this morning in our call to worship Psalm 46 beautiful psalm. And in that, in that psalm about God's power, there's this line in verse 10. It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I, I, don't, I don't know if you've read it this way before, but Josh did a good job when he read it. He, he, he gives some weight to that be still command. We, we need to understand Psalm 4610 is an imperative command. It's not sentimentality. All right, so this is not a mother rocking her child and saying, be still, my child, be still, my child. This is a bold, corrective command. Be still and know that I am God. It's kind of a, a poetic way of saying, shut up and quit whimpering. I'm God, you're not. That's what God is saying to us. I mean, look again at the context of this passage in Psalm. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he's brought desolations on the earth. That's not a lullaby. He's brought desolations. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. So, shut up. I'm God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. And then then there's this reminder for us. The Lord of hosts is with us. So this, this is the, the contrast. Not, not, not be anxious, not worry, but 
Be quiet and know that God is with you. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The psalmist is saying the Lord is more powerful. He's more mighty than any army. Even the world's greatest armies. Even all the armies put together. Fighting together. Only God can cease a war like that. And there's this promise there in verse 10. He will be exalted. Who will? He will. Among the nations. Which nations? All of them. All of the nations. God will be exalted and the name of the Lord will be known throughout all the earth. And he's with us. He's on our side. And he is our father. He who spoke all of creation into existence is our father. And so he tells us in Psalm 46, in a sense, quit anxiously wriggling and squirming and whining and lying awake at night thinking that he's not going to accomplish his purposes. Because he certainly will. And he's with us. I want to read a little bit more. I started this this morning with a quote from John Newton. And I'm getting this, this from a series of letters that he has written. John Newton says this. For want of this spirit, that of, of trusting our Father. For want of this spirit, multitudes of professing Christians perplex and wound themselves and dishonor their high calling, that is their status as children of the Father. They dishonor their high calling by continual anxieties and alarms and complaints. And then this stuck me to the heart. They think nothing safe under the Lord's keeping unless their own eye is likewise upon it. They think nothing safe under the Lord's keeping, under his care, unless their own eye is also upon it. We think God needs our help. And so we become anxious. Thinking somehow our anxiety, our fretting, what what Newton calls wounding ourselves, will accomplish something. But it never does. Anxiety is futile. So do not be anxious. That's the second one. The third point is really just a follow-up to the first one. It's simply this. The Father provides for His children. Life is more than food. Life is more than clothing. After all, we've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. But having been made a child of the Father, we can trust He will provide. Look at verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? That, that word that is translated lilies... Some of your Bibles, if you're reading the ESV, it just says the flowers of the field. Basically, it's the stuff that grows in vacant lots. It's the stuff that grows on the side of the road. The flowering weeds. They're beautiful, but they live a short life. They're already brown. They're already dying, even after a month. And then they die, and they're thrown in the oven. So we don't put them in the oven, but in a place with very few trees, when you require 
fuel to burn a fire to cook your bread, you would use the dried grasses. And so that's what they used. So if God adorns these these seemingly worthless weeds with with flowers more beautiful than Solomon's robes, the, the richest king Israel has ever known, if these flowers are more beautiful than what he could come up with, won't he also adorn you with clothing, with what you need? We're far more precious to him as his children than these grasses are. The Father provides for the birds, he provides for the flowers, and he'll certainly provide for us because he's our Father. What Jesus doesn't say is how the Father provides for us. And I think this is important. Jesus is not teaching us just to lie in bed naked waiting for a fairy godmother to come and put Cinderella clothes on us. Right? It's, It's not that in Christ, as children of the Father, we don't have to work. Paul tells us, this in, in his letter to the Thessalonians. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Not, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. To, to, to not work would fly in the face of Scripture. Work is good. Work came before the fall. Even the birds have to fly around all day long to to find food, but they don't become anxious about it, is the point. Even the flowers have to send their roots deeper and spread their their, their leaves out. When you watch them in the sun, their, their leaves go out. That's a little bit of work, at least. In order to receive nourishment, they have to move. The point is that in our work, we can trust that it is God who provides through our work. Our Father is going to take care of us. And then, and then Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. When it comes down to it, when we think about all three of these things, what this really is, is a faith issue. Isn't it? This is a faith issue. Anxiety is unbelief. It is not to believe one of two things. All right? If it's unbelief, there are two things that we are disbelieving. Either one, we don't really believe that we are children of the Father, and so we're anxious because we think we're on our own. And that's what is that a doubt? That's a doubt in the power of the cross to make you a child of the Father. So either we don't believe in the power of the cross to make us children of the Father, or, or, or number two, we just doubt the promise that God will even provide for his own children. Uh, it, it's the thought that, that God is either powerless or he's evil. You see what anxiety really is? Either you're not a child of the Father, or the Father is a worthless father. That's why Jesus says in verse 30, O you of little faith. It is a a little faith or an absent faith that doubts the power of Christ's work to make us God's children. It's a little faith that doubts the power and goodness of the Father. Either way, anxiety is unbelief. Our anxiety says to God, either you aren't my Father or I, I know that you're my father, and I know you took care of me all the way up until now, 
I know you sent your son for me. I know you've adopted me. I know you've provided your word for me to feast on. I know you've given me the privilege of prayer. I know you've promised me eternal life. But this work situation or this family issue or this medical bill, this is out of your league. This is too much for you. I don't believe you'll take care of it. I don't believe you really take care of your children the way you say you do. Anxiety is unbelief, isn't it? It's, it's worldliness. Look at who Jesus says has anxiety about worldly things. It's not children of the Father. It's not citizens of the kingdom of God, but, but the Gentiles. Look what he says in verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Gentiles, just another way of saying the nations. The nations of the world. In other words, everybody in the world, everybody who is of the world, everyone who belongs to the world, they worry about things of the world. It's part of their nature. It's natural to us. Turn on talk radio on the way home today for a moment. What will you hear? You will hear money news. That's what they play on Sundays. Money news. Show after show after show about how to manage your money. Go get the Sunday paper and look through it. What will you see? Money news. Food ads. Clothing ads. That's how the world functions. Go, go to the city center of any center, city in the entire world. You pick one. Any city in the entire world, and what will you see at the center of the city? A market. Go to the poorest city in the entire world, and at the center will be a market. And what will they be selling? Food and clothing. It doesn't matter where you go. These are the things the world gets up for. These are the things that the world lives for. And so Jesus says, don't be anxious about these things. The world is anxious about these things. Rather than being of the world, we're to be of the Father because we've been redeemed by the Father through the Son. And those who are of the Father, what do they do? Look at verse 33. Those who are of the Father seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what we do as children of the Father. We seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Do you remember at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And here we are being anxious and we have a righteousness that is even up to the world's standards. He's really showing us there is a greater righteousness. Jesus Christ has that greater righteousness. Seek after him. Be like him. Pursue him. Our concern, our vision, our seeking is to be the kingdom of God. We are to be gospel-minded. And with Christ as our focus, all of these earthly concerns will be taken care of. Jesus says all these things will be added to you. They'll be taken care of. It's not that difficult of a decision. Now that we've seen the contrast between these two earthly-mindedness and heavenly-mindedness. We can live now 
as if the things of the world are the most important things. And we can prioritize our lives around being seen as good by the world and being seen as prosperous by the world. We can, we can prioritize our lives around having all of our needs met, all of our wants and desires met. And here's what we'll get. We will get a lot of what we're after, but we'll never be satisfied. It will never be enough. And with those unmet expectations, we will live with crippling anxiety and doubt and bitterness. So that's the treasuring earthly things option. And then option number two, behind door number two. Give your life for what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls the simplicity of carefree life. Exchange that anxiety for faith instead. Die to yourself. Because yourself is just full of anxiety anyway. So die to yourself and live in Christ. And all these other things, the things of this world that we need, they get added. And, and by these things get added, we need to understand what this means. Okay? This does not mean you will be abundantly wealthy. Please don't hear it that way. This is, this is not just an afterthought. Listen to how David Powelson says these things get added. He says, this promise is far more than God will take care of you. This is God will clothe you in nothing less than His radiant glory. So why do you worry about the clothes you'll wear? God is saying, I will dress you in my own glory. Why do you worry about your health? I will raise you from the dead and give you eternal life. Why do you worry about a few dollars? I'll give you the whole earth as an inheritance. Why do you worry when someone doesn't like you? I'll make you live in the kingdom of my love. Why be anxious? In Christ... Your life is worth more than you can ever imagine. Your anxiety will get you nowhere, and your Father will provide for you. So why be anxious? With those foundational truths grounding us, our, our Savior finishes His lesson this way, in verse 34. Therefore, because of all that He's just showed us, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself, won't it? We all know that. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You have enough to take care of today. You have enough to deal with today. Good things, even. Some things that will be a trial, some things that will be a challenge. But you have to take care of them today. You can't fix them before, today. You, you have meals to repair. You have people to care for. Tomorrow is coming, whether you like it or not. You can't stop it, and you don't know what's in store. But, but you didn't know what was in store for today. Or, or yesterday, before it came. Or the day before that, before it came. We've never known what was in store the next day. And yet every day, God showed you that that day wasn't worth being anxious about. Friends, we can entrust tomorrow to the one who has already made it. 
We can entrust tomorrow to the one who has already ordained it and created 10 million tomorrows and infinity of tomorrows after that. He's, he's got this. And he is, by, by the blood of Christ, our Father. And so we can trust him. Amen? Let's pray to him. Father, we, we thank you that you are our Father, that we can call you